everyone. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm so glad you're listening in to this episode today. We are continuing to work our way through the exponential pre-conference of 2020, where Shadonke and Jim Putman and Bill Hall, Dave Clayton, Corey Trimble, and Bobby Harrington talk about disciple making and what that looks like in other countries where disciple making movements are kind of exploding and contrasting that with North America where things are really just kind of getting going and we're trying to create pathways for that to happen here. And in this episode, Shidanke takes us through how to use the Discovery Bible Study. And if you're talking with somebody super cool, they might call it DBS. So maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But this episode is going to be really informational on why we use DBS and also encouraging you on the fact that anybody can do it no matter what your spiritual level is. So at the end, Bobby's going to invite up Jim Putman and Bill Hull to respond to the teaching. So make sure you stick around after the commercial break to hear that. Without further ado, this is Shadonke Johnson talking about Discovery Bible Study. Here we go. So, Shinonke, this is a question. Uh, in fact, if you want to stand up here because uh, you'll need to answer this. Uh, Kyle's asking, he lives in an area of Plano, Texas. There's a lot of uh, Hindus, uh, Buddhists, uh, uh, and it feels like their perception is religion has done a lot of bad. They don't really care about it. How do you enter into the space where they live? Yeah, um, good morning. <laughs> How's the body? How the body? The body fine. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it is really true that religion has caused a lot of damages, especially for, for people who are coming from some background. I mean, everywhere. It will surprise you. It's the same thing everywhere when you travel around the world. Um, that is the reason why we have to approach it, not from the point of religion. We approach it from the point of spirituality walking with God, being falling in love with Christ. You are not bringing religion. If you bring religion again, they are going to be hot. But you want to bring the love of Christ, which is really different from bringing religion. And so you have to reflect that love of Christ to them. Because the moment they see you, they begin, there's suspicion in their mind. And they, they begin to play back in their mind what they've gone through. And they will see in you as one of those people, just one of those people of what they've gone through in the past. So that's why I, my encouragement and what we have done, you know, God has helped us to do, is to always start from the place of really demonstrating love to them. Having a deeper relationship. Where, you know, the human mind, they look at you and they will know that you are different from what they have gone through. The way you approach them, the way you talk to them, the way you serve them, it will easily, the switch ball will come on and they say, no, this is different. And yesterday I said over and again, I have seen them ask questions. Why are you different? I know this is a secure space. There are things I will not say, but just for us to understand. I have been fortunate to go to countries where, and gone underground, in places that are really difficult, very difficult. And I have sat with people who are mullahs, imams. And inside, they will tell you, you know, the fears they have, even though they pray with people five times a day. 
They will tell you the doubts that they have. Even as they pray with people five times a day. Even as people exalt them in their heart, they will tell you when they trust you. But the trust will not come without a good relationship. So, and, and Jesus was a master at this. He was a master in creating relationship. If we just look at what Jesus did with the children, you know, the Bible tells us he took a child and put it on his lap. And, and he told his disciples, don't stop the little children. Let them come to me. And then he used them to say that the kingdom of God is like this. Children. He was talking something very different. To the rest of his disciples. And I believe we should approach the kingdom business very different. The way Jesus approached it. With love. It is difficult for people to persecute me. And then turn around to love them. With our neighbors. We don't call them causing our neighbors. Today I'm introducing another word we call them neighbors. If you do them anything wrong. They will not rest until the revenge. There's nothing like forgiveness. The revenge. And now here is my neighbors. They've done me so wrong. But I still go out and love them and serve them. And they say, why are you different? Why are you doing this to me? One simple illustration is one of the radicals. Also who was persecuting the church. And then he traveled. He went out of the state. And then all of a sudden, his wife and family were involved in an accident. Now everybody knows he persecuted the church. But we we are fortunate we are driving and we met the accident. We took his wife who was badly damaged in the accident. Took the family to the hospital. We paid all the bills. It was followers of Jesus who donated blood. And they gave her blood. And by the time he came back, he saw the situation. Honestly, it's difficult for our brothers, for a man to cry. Because it's weakness. You don't cry even when there are things pinning but this guy came to me, he hugged me, and he was crying. And I said, it's okay. He said, no, you don't understand. I saw you as an enemy. But even though you know that this is what I've done to you, been doing to Christians, but you donated blood, you paid all the bills for my family, you saved my wife and my children. He said, you have spoken volume to me about the God that you serve. Mm. And now I know that the God you serve is different from the God that I serve. These words were not coming out of my own mouth. It was coming out of his mouth. Did we open the Bible to him? No. Did we quote any verse to him? No. We just lived Christ. If we begin to leave Christ with our neighbors and demonstrate love, I'm telling you honestly, because of the years I've been working among them, they go back to bed and they are asking, why is this man different? Why is this woman different? And it is that question that we cause them to open up to you. And when they trust you and they open up, I'm telling you, that is the beginning of a powerful relationship. Don't take religion. Take the love of Christ. That's similar to what we mentioned yesterday, what Robert Coleman was saying. If he could uh, rewrite the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, the only thing he would change is he would be more explicit about incarnation. And by that he meant entering into the lives of people with the love of Jesus so that they know that you love them. Um, we're going to start a session in just a second with Shadonke. I'm going to encourage you to sit down. Uh, Shadonke is going to talk about Discovery Bible Study. And one of the really 
tactical, specific, practical tools in disciple-making movements is discovery Bible study. And we're going to find uh, that they use this at every level of their movement. And I know for a lot of you, you want to take good notes and dive into that. Before we have Shinonke come up and start with that session, I wanted to circle back to why this conversation is so important in terms of the national study that we recently completed, uh, discipleship.org and Exponential. And it's telling us that disciple-making is not the norm in the country. I believe we have an infographic. By the way, that's the website where you can download the report. I've got some hard copies up here, about 10 hard copies, if if somebody would like one of those at the end. But uh, we're going to show you some infographics on us. And so... uh, I'm going to just move over here so I can see it a little better. Uh, if you'll notice at the top left-hand side, 95% of uh, U.S. churches do not have a disciple-making culture. By the way, what we're talking about is um, not just tactics and strategies, although this whole thing is a strategy, as we talked about yesterday. In fact, Shinonke is one of the most strategic pe- people you'll ever meet. Uh, but the idea is that when you have a thoroughly integrated strategy, it actually is more of a reflection of a culture. Culture trumps strategy every time. So 95% of churches do not have a disciple-making culture. 5% do. And uh, so guys like Jim Putman and Bill Hall and Dave Clayton and Corey Trumbull can talk to you about that. Um, we found that there are no clear examples of disciple-making movements like Shinonke in the United States. There's some uh, early signs of it in some places, especially immigrant communities here. Um, Secondly, pastors overrate their effectiveness in discipleship and disciple-making because they're defining everything. When when you don't have clear definitions, then anything will do. Uh, Also, there's no clear, commonly understood definitions, like we said, and so we really want to champion definitions. In fact, if I could just pause for a second. One of the things that Bill Hull, Jim Putman, Dan Spader... Uh, and the others of us, when we started discipleship.org, we said, let's come together on some common definitions. Because again, you can be talking about using words in ways that mean totally different things. So if you go to the about tab at discipleship.org, there are definitions. And so if somebody's writing a book with us, like we've got a couple of books coming out this year, we ask people to refer to those definitions <clears throat> so that we can have a common language of what we're trying to do. And I, I really commend that to you in your church. You've got to uh, get your definition right. And in fact, in Jim, in the Relational Discipleship Network, that's the first thing that they get folks to work on. What is it that you're trying to create if you're trying to make a disciple? So super important stuff. The recommendations coming out of the report is uh, champion clear definitions in commonly understood language. Uh, we mentioned yesterday that as a leader of a church, you're the architect of your disciple-making system in your church. And so you want to start off with clear understandings and clear definitions. So champion clear definitions and commonly understood language. The senior pastor must embrace uh, disciple-making as the core mission of the church. Uh, I don't think... Uh, is Corey Trumbull here this morning? He's outside? Okay. So uh, I think he'll be okay to tell the story uh, a couple of years ago, um, I was able to help uh, Corey meet Jim Putman. So Corey leads a church that's really 
you know, making a difference. And uh, Jim leaned over to Corey and said, are you, are you leading your group in discipling people? And uh, Corey said, well, no, not right now. And Jim said, well, how's the church going to do it if you don't? And Corey changed his whole thing and uh, ended up uh, not only leading a group, but helping the church to lead groups and ends up getting uh, the first group that he started. He ended up uh, hiring one of the guys on staff. So this, these are Corey's, uh, from Corey's team over here. Great guys with some really good conversations last night. So the senior pastor here, it is so important. You've got to be what you want your church to be. You've got to live it out and show the way. Uh, number three, develop new measures of success. Uh, right now we are, have an addiction in North America to bodies, bucks, buildings, and baptisms. Baptisms being decisions, not like uh, too many people make baptism the finish line instead of the starting line. Uh, for a life of being a disciple, and so we've got to we've got to move away from that and be focused more on uh, disciples who are making disciples and four generations of disciple making and and other metrics. And then lastly, uh, to champion effective strategies and models. I'm going to give Bill Hall, Jim Putman, Dave Clayton just a few minutes at the end today to talk about the networks that they're a part of, because uh, an, an environment like this. You get exposed, you get introduced, but you actually need networks to help you make changes in what you're doing in your churches. So really appreciate the partnership of these men and their organizations with us. I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer. And then, Shadonke, we're going to get you to get up there and talk about Discovery Bible Study. So let's pray, everybody. God, we come to you this morning. We commit this time to you. We're so grateful for the principles. And just uh, as we meditate on this for a second, we began yesterday with fasting and prayer and how important fasting and prayer is. We talked about that, Lord, and I know you brought conviction to many, many of us. We pray that that conviction would result in action. Then secondly, we talked about serving with purpose, which is really demonstrating the love of Jesus at the point of need for people who don't know you. We just pray, God, that you'd help us to think that through and to get really specific and practical and really desire to love and serve our communities. And then coming out of that, we talked about finding persons of peace, how there are some people, and it's through relational open doors that they open up doors Help us understand a culture, reach reach a culture, and bring the gospel to a culture. Now, God, as we think of being in those cultures and having open doors, uh, we just pray that you would teach us and help us to see how you use Discovery Bible Study or Discovery Groups to change lives. So we commit the rest of this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Shadonke. Good morning. We Africans, we greet a lot. <laughs> there are times the greetings will take at least 10, 15 minutes of our time just greeting. Well, it's, um, I want to thank the Lord for a new day and a new opportunity to share what God is doing through his word. And I want to, all of us to know that I am very much convinced in my heart, I believe very strongly that God has used and is still using 
great men and women of God in this nation to advance the kingdom of God all around the world. And there are people in this nation among here that I truly admire. And without them telling me, I've been praying for them and I tell people about them because I see their hearts. I see what they want God to do in their own nation. And I'm really grateful for their lives. I'm thankful for what God has used them to do. And I believe strongly that we are all in this business of the kingdom and we are all partnering together just to advance the kingdom of God wherever the Lord has placed us. And I'm really thankful for that. Yesterday we spoke about prayer. We also spoke about um, serving with purpose. We spoke about the person of peace. And those are steps. We call them, you know, the wheel in terms of creating a church planting movement. And today I want to also talk about the Discovery Bible Studies as another piece. When you pray, you start with prayer, you pray and fast, and then you start with purpose, you discover the person of peace, of the family of peace. The next thing you want to do is to begin a Discovery Bible Studies with that family of peace or person of peace that you discover. Now first, what is Discovery Bible Studies? Discovery Bible Studies, put in a very simple way, is a Bible Studies that help the people to understand about God, understand about His Word, understand about Jesus and the principles of the Word of God. In a very simple way. So Discovery Bible Studies really help the people to understand about God, about his word, about Jesus, and the principles, the truths around God and Jesus. And when they do that understanding, they apply it to their own lives first. And then to their families. And then to their communities. So Discovery Bible Studies help them to understand the truth about God, about his word, about Jesus and the principles surrounding Jesus and the word of God. And they apply it to their own lives first. And then to their families. And then to their communities. Why discovery Bible studies? Why do we need discovery Bible studies? The first reason why we need discovery Bible studies is that discovery Bible studies helps the ordinary man to understand the word of God in a simple way. It helps the ordinary man to understand the word of God in a very simple way. So that's one reason why, you know, we do Discovery Bible Study. But also, Discovery Bible Studies take the people back to the Bible. It takes them back to the Bible. So it is, normally we say in our discipleship, it's the Bible plus nothing else. It takes people back to the primary source, which is the Bible. Always the Bible. The Bible plus nothing else. So, but the third thing why we need Discovery Bible Studies is that Discovery Bible Studies is simple and it's reproducible. It's simple and reproducible. You know, anyone can do it. And you can do it in any place, anytime. It's very simple and reproducible. If you don't even have the full Bible with you, but you know some few verses, you can use those few verses from your heart, from your mind, and you can do a discovery Bible studies. You can write few verses with pen, 
Especially for people in difficult countries where the Bible even becomes, if they see the Bible, which is going to be, it's going to be a death warrant. So you don't have to be walking around with the Bible. But you can have the Bible in your heart. And so you can write some few verses and you can sit down at a table and discuss it with somebody else. So it's very simple, it's reproducible. You can do it in any language, any tribe, anywhere, any place. I have done discovery Bible studies in the plane while traveling. I've done discovery Bible studies in the field, in the soccer field. I do discovery Bible studies anywhere. You can do it anywhere. So it's simple and it's reproducible. But the other reason for discovery Bible studies is that discovery Bible studies really helps to reproduce disciples very fast and also raise leaders. When you do discovery Bible studies, disciples, it easily helps to reproduce disciples and also helps to raise leaders in a very easy way. So, and the other reason why we do discovery Bible studies, because discovery Bible studies really helps us to discover everything we need to know about God and his word. Everything we need to know about God and his word. So in discovery Bible studies, we are not going to be ashamed to talk about things that maybe you cannot talk about during your preaching. I normally say when we coach our disciples, Discovery Bible studies help you and help your disciples not to say the pastor said, but they are going to say the Bible said. Because they are reading from the Bible. It's not the pastor who is saying it. It's the Bible. And also in Discovery Bible studies, it really brings out the truth about obedience, immediate obedience. And so those are some of the reasons why we do Discovery Bible studies. It's an obedience-based approach. We normally say any, a delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Obedience is a total obedience. If you delay it, it's disobedience. If you partially obey, it's disobedience. So it's what the word of God says. With that, I just want to read a verse from John chapter 6, verse 44 to 45. John 6, 44 to 45. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has, who has had the Father and learned from him comes to me. God still raises his leaders and speaks to them. So when we meet for Discovery Bible Studies, we believe that God through his Spirit can still teach people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what do we do? How do we go about it when we do discovery Bible studies? Let's assume we discover a family of peace or a person of peace. We've created enough relationship, we've told them the story, and now it's time for us to begin the discovery Bible studies. We ask them, you know, I want us to spend some time and just look at the world. The story I've been telling you is all from this word of God. I want to sit down with you and for us to look at the story. Now, one of the things we normally do in Discovery Bible Studies, we always start from creation. Especially if we are dealing with other people from, from our neighbors or from other religion. We start from creation. Because it will interest you if you read other religious books, that there are a lot of things about creation that is, is similar to what the Bible is talking about. So starting from creation is a good platform for you to begin to discuss. Now, one of the things we do in Discovery Bible Studies is that the atmosphere has to be relaxed. It don't have to be an atmosphere where there's a kind of speck of religion. 
The speck of judgment, it has to be very lax. And you can do it anywhere under the tree. You can do it in a vehicle. You can do it anywhere. And in discovery Bible studies, you are not teaching. You are not a teacher. You are a facilitator. You are not a teacher. It's one rule that is very important. You are not teaching. You are just facilitating. You are helping the people to discover for themselves the truth from the Bible. And so all you do is that you ask questions. Your job as a facilitator is to ask questions. And normally when we meet, one of the questions we'll ask is that, what are you thankful for this week? What are you thankful for? What has happened in your life this week that you are very thankful for? I mean, a lot of people have things they are thankful for. And you know, you say, oh, I'm thankful for a new day. I'm thankful for food. The list we go on and on what the people are thankful for. And once they've said that, the next question we ask is that, what are the challenges that you face this week or your challenges that you are facing today? What are those challenges that you are facing? Of course, you, it will surprise you. What you think is not a challenge to you is a challenge to somebody else. And people share what the challenges are that they are facing. And the reason why we tell them what they are thankful for is to show gratitude to God. So that they are learning from the very first day to be grateful to what God is doing for them. And the reason why we ask them for challenges is so that we can join them in praying. It's for intercession. So that we can join them in praying. You know, so if they bring out their challenges, we join them to pray. Or their time, somebody from doing the Discovery Bible Studies already have something to share with them. Once we've done that, the next thing we do is that we read the passage. We read the passage. It can be three verses, four verses. Normally when we start discovering Bible studies with a family, we don't go to complex passages. And also we don't take long passages. We take simple passages. And then we read short verses. And then we read the passage. If the people cannot read and write... We do what we, we have. Now we have different recordings in their own local language. And so if we have a Bible recorded in their own local language, we use the recorded Bible. But for me, for example, in my own context, I can read it in my own local language. I'll read it loud, or if they can read, I ask them to read the passage. So one thing you'll find that the person might even be on a journey not yet saved, and we ask them, can you read this passage, these five verses? And they read it because they can read their local language or they can read English. We say read it. And they read. They are still on the journey, but they can read that passage for themselves. And when they read the passage, there are times we encourage them to read the passage two times or three times. And we tell them to read the passage loud. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So they will read loud the passage. And once they have read the passage, the next thing we ask them is that, can you summarize this passage in your own words? In your own words, what do you think this passage is saying? Summarize the passage in your own words. And they will begin to say, I think this is what I think the passage is saying. And they summarize it in their own words. If we realize that the leader or the facilitator realize that they are going off a little bit, you have to bring, that's why you are facilitating, you bring them back to what the word is saying. And they will summarize the passage in their own words. Once they've summarized the passage in their own words, we ask them the next question. What have you learned about God from this passage? Or what have you discovered about God in this passage? What is the passage saying about God? Well, 
As a reading pastor, they will say, I realize from this passage that God is a good God. Great. I realize from this passage that God is, he's a forgiving God. And they are bringing out this truth about God in the passage. Why do we do that? Because once they keep on discovering the truth about God, that makes their faith grounded. So if somebody else go and tell them another thing about God, they will say, no. But the God I know, this is who he is, based on the passages I've read. So they discover that about God. And once they've done that discovery about God, we ask them the next question. From this passage, what have you discovered or learned about man, or about people? What have you discovered about people? Or what have you discovered about man from this passage? While they will put up their hands, from this passage I realize that man is a sinner. Or normally, you know, we would normally tell a man has a tendency to sin. Or from this passage we realize that man needs God. Then we come out with the things they have discovered about man from the passage. And once they do that, we ask them the next question. Based on this passage, how are you going to obey this passage? What are you going to do different today, having read this passage? What are you going to do different? I will tell you, we have done discovery Bible studies with families who are from the African traditional religion. Other people who are our neighbors. I have seen people, maybe, as you begin to discover Bible study about God, some of them will say, from this passage, I've realized that the idols I have, you know, is wrong. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to put aside these idols. You are not telling them to do it. They are discovering for themselves. They are taking decisions for themselves. Some of them will tell you, I've discovered from this passage that the way I've been worshiping God is different. It's wrong. And I need to change it. We went to one community where it was an animistic community. And they had several shrines. Shrines are like small places where they go to worship in the community. And we found a person of peace. We started the Discovery Bible Studies. We timed the family and other people in the community came and became part of the Discovery Bible Studies. So we have several Discovery Bible Studies going on. Normally what we do is that, just for you to understand we have what we call our entry strategy and our exit strategy. We have a strategy, our entry strategy, and exit strategy. We normally, before we go to any tribe, we know exactly which type of religion, the people that are there. So after one year, we evaluate what God has done in that community. And I want to tell you, through the Discovery Bible Studies, as we ask this question, how are you going to obey we have seen in some communities, in six months or eight months, the shrines started to disappear, one by one. We never told them to take away the shrines. And when we asked them, where are the shrines? They said, well, from what we are reading, we know it's wrong to do what we have been doing. And so we decided to just demolish them and trust God. So we asked them, how are you going to obey? I have seen chiefs put up their hands and said, you know, I've been ruling my people. I've been ruling them with a very heavy hand. I'm going back and I'm going to ask them to forgive me for what I've been doing. I thought that was the best thing I was doing because of Discovery Bibles. We have seen husbands say, I'm going to ask my wife or wives to forgive me because of the way I've been behaving, my family. You know, the list we go on and on. That is how they are going to obey. And then the next question we'll ask is that, who are you going to share this passage with? Who are you going to tell based on this passage? Who do you think needs to hear this? And there are times that we pause and say, you know what? I have this best friend. Man, he's, 
We are all of us have been practicing this thing. And so I want to go and share what I'm learning right now with that person. Why are we doing this? From the very first day, you are involving them to share what they are hearing. So they are sharing the word of God. They are not only obeying, but they are also sharing with a family or with a friend. And the last question we normally ask is that, based on this passage, what do you think we need to pray about? If you are going to pray for something today, you are going to ask God for something, what will that thing be based on this passage? And they will say, you know, let's pray. That's one, let's pray that God will forgive us. Number two, let's pray that we'll have the love of God. We'll just love God the way he loves us from this passage. And that becomes a prayer point. Why are we doing that? Because one, it is a strategy to begin to disciple them in prayer from the very first day. And they know that prayer is important. And so from the first day, they begin to pray. And then we'll pray about the things they've asked for. And if they have other personal prayer points, we'll pray about those prayer points. And then we'll ask them, what next do you think we should meet? And they say, you know what? We want to be meeting twice a week. They make the decision. We don't make the decision for them. You know, we think we, we need to meet twice a week. Because this thing is really good. We want to learn more. And then we'll leave. So, discovering Bible studies, you can condense it to be 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on the people, depending on the time you have. It's very flexible. But normally we say if you are doing a discovery Bible studies, especially with a young family, don't take it beyond one hour. 40 minutes is fine, 45 minutes is fine. Leave them at a point where they want to hear more. Always leave them at a point where they want to hear more. And then you will continue to discover Bible studies again. So this is how we do our discovery Bible studies. And we do, for us, you know, in the movements, we do discovery Bible studies in our family devotion every morning. Those who have visited us will see, you know, I have friends, missionaries that have gone to visit us. In the morning, we wake up and we do discovery Bible studies as a family. And all throughout the movement, there are people doing discovery Bible studies as a family. But also, we do, when we go to the offices, we do discovery Bible studies in our offices. We do discovery Bible studies. We do discovery Bible studies in our prayer houses. We do discovery Bible studies everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we do discovery Bible studies. We do it on Sunday, Sunday services, we do discovery Bible studies. We just ask these questions. We post it up and we ask the questions. And we pass the mic around. And people answer the questions on the floor. We do discovery Bible studies in schools. We have what we call victory clubs in our schools, in our high schools, junior high and senior high. So in one school, we might have 10, 15 discovery Bible studies and leaders. And all we do is discovery Bible studies in all of the schools. We do discovery Bible studies on university campuses. We do discovery Bible studies. We do discovery Bible studies in prisons. I will tell you how many baptisms we have done in prisons. And how many prisoners are Discovery Bible Study leaders and when they are set free from prison, they just find a place where they will go and worship. So we do Discovery Bible Studies anywhere. In the soccer field, we do Discovery Bible Studies. So it's something we do everywhere. And we do it with anyone that is willing to have Discovery Bible Studies. So that is what we do. That is... um. We still preach so that people will not be oh, where is preaching? We still preach, but we do discovery Bible studies as a way to help people grow 
And the best way that we normally do our coaching and discovery Bible studies, the first thing we do is that with the people or the family, we do it and they watch. That's our first step. We do it and they watch us as we do it. The next step is that we do it together. For example, this number of questions, after two or three weeks, we tell them next week when we are doing discovery Bible studies, we are going to do it together. I'm going to ask three questions and you are going to ask four questions. So we lead together. Once we begin to lead together and they have the confidence, we see them doing it well. The next step is that they do it and we watch. We sit down and they begin to do the discovery Bible studies and we watch. And once they're doing it very well, we know that, yes, they should be doing this now. And we sit down and we watch them. So we do it and they watch. We do it together and they do it and we watch. And by so doing, you leaders are raised very quickly to become leaders of the discovery Bible studies. So that's how we do discovery Bible studies in all the areas where we go. We'll make sure we have, we, you can use any, what I want also to know also is that it is not, if you think you cannot start from creation, you can start from what is the need of the people, always. For example, if I know that these are soccer players, they love football, we're going to start discovery Bible studies from that end. If I know they are business people, we start discovery Bible studies from their own area of need. We can start the discovery Bible studies from their business point of view. You know, you can start discovery Bible studies and then gradually you can take them, you know, from that point of need into the scripture. So you can start anywhere if you are meeting with the people for the very first time. You can also start it from the point of need. Not necessarily all the time from creation. But when we do it in, in towns and villages, we start from creation. So that's how we do discovery Bible studies. And we have seen the leaders, the disciples multiply. We've seen leaders raised out of discovery Bible studies. What we interest you, we have seen people who never went to school. Leading discovery Bible studies. Never went to school. My mother is, was a former Muslim. And my mother is an illiterate. She never went to school. But I will tell you, my mother has brought more Muslim women to the faith than any other woman I know. She never went to school. My mother can quote scriptures. She will tell you, turn to John chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 7. By the time you are turning, she's explaining what is there. She never went to school. But she has been, she has just gone through discovering Bible studies and the Bible has become part and parcel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. I've seen them plant churches, even though they've not gone to school, plant churches, raise disciples, disciples who are, edu- who are educated. Being raised by people who have never gone to school. Don't ask me how does, how does this happen. If the father is not drawing them, they are not coming. And through his power, he can teach others the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. 
And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I want to ask uh, Jim Putman and Bill Hall to come up and uh, we're, we're going to have a um, more of a pressing in on this, Shadonke. <clears throat> uh, Matt Dabbs put up the questions on the screen. If you're listening to this recording, if you will email, email info at discipleship.org, we can give you a couple of resources. There's the questions that are here on the screen now. Also, Lee, if you'll put uh, the uh, website, there's a website uh, from David Young, who did the introduction, from their church on Discovery Bible Study. And uh, <clears throat> you can see it here. It's at northboulevard.com, teachingdiscovery-bible-study. And uh, it's a very simple website with more information on how to do Discovery Bible Study that you would really benefit from. <clears throat> so um, I want to point something out that we talked about yesterday and that's in this national report we just described. And that is that to create a disciple-making culture, you must have a system or a method, and we use three words to describe it. It has to be simple, effective, and reproducible. And if there's anything that epitomizes discovery Bibles, or that uh, epitomizes those three words, simple, effective, and reproducible, it would be discovery Bible study. Um, I know some of you may have heard of orality or storying. It has many similarities to it. In fact, Jim, I'm going to encourage you to jump in here first because Jim Putman uh, has spent a lot of time with his church and churches in the Relational Discipleship Network on storying or orality and how it ties in. So, Jim, um, I want to get you to jump in first. Now, I want to encourage Jim and Bill, uh, if you have questions that you want to lean into on this Discovery Bible study, feel free to also be questioners with Shadonke. Because I'm telling you, when you when you look at this movement, uh, Discovery Bible Study is what they do. And as he mentioned, uh, devotionals, family devotionals, uh, reaching uh, people, whether they be animists or <clears throat> whom Shadonke refers to as cousins in uh, different villages, or training leaders at the highest level. Discovery Bible Study is how they do everything. So, Jim, why don't you jump in first? Um yeah, I, I think um, one of the things that uh, obviously you do well uh, and, and Discovery Bible Study and uh, Orality does well is uh, a couple of different things. We talk about in our uh, training phrase from the stage. And the problem with most discipleships uh, curriculums is that it's very leader-centric and uh, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, mm -hmm. just because somebody's in a setting with you, took a class, whatever, doesn't mean you really know where they're at with the material. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you know what they did with it. Oftentimes people can hear Scripture and completely misinterpret it based on their upbringing, their filters. So it's only as you allow them to speak... And to share what they got from that, do you do you see whether they're accurately 
uh, defining and discerning what the words actually say. Um, and so it, what, the, what facilitating a group does is it allows the, you to hear what they got mm. and what mm. they're going to do with it. Mm. Um, I'll, let me give you an example I use uh, in one of the books. Uh, I, had a, I preached on uh, God Hates Divorce. Because I had a lot of folks telling me, I, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, to their wives, right? Mm. And so I preached on on divorce, and I, I was pretty fired up, and I came out into the foyer, and a little lady came up to me, she's probably 35, had a couple kids in tow, and she said, and she was crying, she said, Jim, I know, I know what I need to do. And I said, well, what do you need to do? She said, I need to go back to my husband. Now, my first reaction was, yes. And, and it, But the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me to say, why did you leave your husband? And she said, uh, because he was sexually abusing my daughters. Now, I had preached the Word of God. I preached Malachi. God hates divorce. Uh, I preached uh, those things accurately, but I can't deal with all of the nuances that go with that subject in a sermon. If, if, if she would have not had the opportunity to share what she was getting from it, she would have heard the scriptures and misinterpreted the outcome. Mm-hmm. Discipleship is a relational process by which, you know, Jesus was an expert at it. He would share something, then he would, they would come to him with questions. He would ask them questions. It was a relationship, not a person preaching at them or doing all the talking. There was a time for teaching, but there was a time for debriefing and hearing where they were at. And so discipleship, as we typically do it, only uh, transfers information uh, and doesn't necessarily make sure that they understand the information. Here, here's one of my problems, though, that we've discovered in orality and um we, we at the Relational Discipleship Networks say that uh, you don't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. Jesus, when he said, go make disciples, he didn't say, go do it any way you want. He said, in, in effect, go do what I just did with you. And he did it in relationship. And so we say the best place for discipleship to happen is in relationship. But the problem that... Uh, People do is they, they say it this way. Okay, so the best way to transfer information is in relationship. Yes and no. Uh, relationship is not just a means to an end. It is the end. Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on two commands. Love God, love others. It's all about relationship. So in relationship, you learn to be in relationship. That is maturity. That's why Paul says you can know all, uh, you speak in the tongues of angels and of men, you can, you can do all this stuff, but if you have not love, you are nothing. Uh, my issue with orality and some of the methods is that when they ask the question, what did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? Or what, 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 you know, you know, what, they're, they're content questions. Um, one of the things that Americans are terrible about, and I don't know how it is in Sierra Leone, but they're terrible about being honest 
about where they really are in their life. When they're doubting. When they're struggling. What they're struggling with. They don't trust. And uh, they, they aren't honest. They'll tell you what a passage means. They'll tell you what the church should do. They'll tell you what... What's, you know, what it's, what it means. But when you ask the question, how are you really doing with this? This, this moving to transparency and confession of sin and being honest with one another about doubts and all that, they're terrible at it. So in effect, they go to church, but they're isolated spiritually. And so you have to have a place in it, and it starts with the leader. If the leader will be transparent about what you're not only learning, but how you're doing with this passage in your own life and the struggles that you're having, the rest of the group goes, oh, we're going to go there. And as you start to get real, you start to deal, you start to experience the deep fellowship, intimate relationship, not uh, kind of this pseudo fake love. Where we, you know, you know, I love you, brother. You know, no, it becomes a deep, intimate relationship, a knowing and being known. And so the intentional leader has to bring it to, all right, that's great. We, we know what we ought to do. We know what men do. What do we learn about men? I, no, 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 wait. I can say, well, men are sinful. No. What do we learn about ourselves? What, 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 what about me? I'm struggling with doubt. I, I remember the first time I was with a I was blessed to have a person disciple me. And I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, I came to him and said, after a little bit, I said, I'm terrible at this. I, 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 I have more doubts now than I did before I was a Christian. I'm, I'm struggling. I, I thought I had an issue with lust. Now... Now it's like it's on, I'm not, I'm sitting all the time. And so I'll never forget, I was at a restaurant. And uh, first thing he said was, yeah, me too. You too? Because I, I, I just thought I was the worst. I'm terrible at this. And uh, I'm struggling more now than I ever have before. And, and he said, yeah, that, that's what happens when you're a Christ follower. And the devil comes against you. And he said, I want you to do me a favor. And I'll never forget this. He said, take this cup and put it on your head. And I'm in a restaurant. And I'm still cool, you know. I'm, I'm like, no, I'm not putting a cup on my head. He said, put it on your head. I put the cup on my head. <laughs> he said, he took a penny out. He said, this is a thought. The devil comes along. He drops the thought in your head, in the cup. And he goes, did you sin? I go, yeah. <laughs> Scripture says that uh, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery already. He said, no. No. You don't have... The devil can place thoughts in your heads. It's what you do with them. You have to take that cup and you have to go, no, wait, I'm not going to think that way. I have to pour it out. And, 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 and so I go, so you have those thoughts too? He goes, oh, yeah. And, and it's like this constant battle. And, and, and so I thought I was a freak. I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought if I didn't have a place where I could be honest and he wasn't honest with me, 
I would have left Christianity believing I, I just can't be saved because of everything I've done, the thoughts that come into my head. I'm terrible. Do you know how many people are struggling with their marriage, with their thought life, with all this stuff, and they think they're the only ones because all we do is in general talk about how bad the world is, how bad this is, how... We don't talk about the fact that we're all broken and we take captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ. If I would have just gone to church and not had somebody walk me through the real struggles with real honesty and transparency, I would have never made it. Pastors... They're the most isolated. Why? Because they know what they should do. They know what they're supposed to do. And if I tell everybody where I'm at, then I'm going to lose my credibility to speak because I'm supposed to be the answer guy. No, no, no. If I can't be open and honest about what I'm really battling with, then I think I'm alone. I'm isolated. When the devil isolates you, he will kill you spiritually. And so I, you've got to get to this place where we're going to be honest we're going to be open with one another. And, and that's scary because most people have been hurt that way and in the church. Somebody's going to put it on the prayer chain for me. <laughs> Being open and honest, it's got to move beyond, you know, what we know from Scripture. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about um, myself? What do, I, what do I learn about man? You know, it's got to get personal. And it's in that relationship. That you grow. So now, not only you're having help carrying one another's burden spiritually, there's accountability. There's, there's understanding each other. There's sharing. There's confessing sins one to another so that you're healed. You've got to move to the actual relationship side if you're going to make it on planet Earth as a Christian. That's good. So, Jim, what you found is in the context of a small group where you have these kinds of questions going on. If the leader is authentic, him or herself, then that creates that environment you're talking about. Yeah. With the youth. An intentional leader is open and honest about his real stuff. As the, at the, the depth that the leader goes, the people will go. And so that, I mean, how many guys have been in Bible studies and then they find out that there's a divorce coming? And the guy just doesn't show up. He's been there for two years. And all they did is talk about Bible content, not about how you're really doing in life. And uh, this is scary because Christians, people have been hurt in general. This is not a safe world. But in Christ, there's something more. That's good. So, Shinonke, do you, in terms of the transparency Jim's talking about, uh, it's obviously part of the process because you're talking about people confessing or idols and things like that. But do you train your leaders to set the environment of transparency like Jim's talking about? Yeah, definitely. One of the things here is that uh, <clears throat> most of the guys that lead, already right, people know their background, where they're coming from, and this is something we share so openly. You know, when I speak to my leaders back home, I don't hold anything back. I let them know where I've been in my journey with the Lord. Because for us, it's very, very important if we are going to get the Discovery Bible Study grow. And people know somebody who was a thief before. They know who was a drug addict before. They know this man was a rebel before who was fighting. And they know his story about how much people he has killed before he got saved. 
I mean, people know all of that. And in fact, one of the things that really helped us in our discovery Bible study is that people say, if God can do this to this man, if he can change, then I know God can do the same in my life. And, and so that's really helped the process yeah. to move forward. But, but I would say one thing a little bit different. Yes, I'm changed. But I still battle as a Christian every single day with myself. That which I wish to do, I don't do. That which I hate to do, I keep on doing. What happens is we tend to talk about our Christianity, our our failings, as if that was pre-Christ. And after Christ, now I'm supposed to have it all together. Yes, I'm changed and I'm growing, but I still struggle every day. I still get in a fight with my wife. I still get, I, I, I come to, I come to church, uh, or to the Bible study, I'm like, yeah, still not over the fight I got to with my wife last night. I'm still ticked off. I need you to talk me off the ledge. You know, my guys go, okay, I love you, Jim. Uh, 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 what can we, what can we do? Well, here's what I'm mad about. My guys will go, but what about you? Not your wife, what about you? And as you allow your, your guys to see the ongoing struggle, they don't feel like freaks because they have one. And uh, that, was, that was my biggest thing. I'm an alcoholic. been sober 30 years. But there are times in my life where I still am drawn to escape. Right? So I want, I, I, I'm supposed to have people that I could be honest about my struggle with and not isolated. So I want to talk about the fact that we still today, no matter how many years we've been a Christian, still go through struggles. So, Bill, uh, jump in here. Thoughts, questions, reflections? Uh, I stopped jumping years ago. <laughs> uh, I think the um, uh, first thing, I there's so much I like about Discovery Bible Study. And uh, the first thing I thought was, uh, as the discussion was going on here, was Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, your sin wants to be alone with you. (laughs) And this is the desire of Satan. So he wants you just to think that you can handle your sin, just you and Jesus. And how often we've fallen into that trap. The Lord and I, you know, we've had this secret relationship for 25 years about this particular thing. And he and I, Jesus and I, we've got it. But it's like you turn the lights on, the cockroaches start running. Uh, that's what the illumination does of the Holy Spirit. So that's just a good thought. Um, I was thinking about uh, what Willard, Dallas Willard said about, and I think this is another good emphasis in the Discovery Bible study. At the end of his book, The Great Omission, uh, in that book, he is uh, it's a collection of talks he gave. But at the end, he says uh, essentially this, that he started off by saying, you know, he felt like his job was to convert the world. And then he decided that it was impossible for him to convert the world, you know, by himself. Just kind of ridiculous idea. And then he thought, well, no, I really need to convert the church. But he says people get mad and angry and divide up in teams and... And uh, it really, it's like this whole genre of disappointment books, you know, what the church is doing badly. And we're all somewhat guilty of that. But he says, basically, it's about converting me. Hmm. And I I like that about this. The first thing is about me, uh, how it applies to me. 
Uh, but the third thing, third thought I had was, uh, and this is really a question, Mr. Donkey, and uh, I'm still working on your first name, uh, is um, I've heard a number of statistics, and, and uh, our friend Roy Moran from Kansas City, uh, he, he knows a lot about this subject. He's written a book called Spent Matches, which is one of the best books I've read, read in the last few years, a really excellent book. And um, so he, in that book, uh, I remember talking with Roy in Phoenix last year about this, and, and he was talking about the rate of multiplication in Sierra Leone. And uh, I can't remember the rate. What is the rate? It's pretty high. I mean, how many how many people who start a Discovery Bible study, uh, I mean, are in a Discovery Bible study, turn around and start another one? Well, for every 10, uh, 10 people that start a Discovery Bible studies, we realize that at least the rate is about 7 every 10. There must be 7 people who are reproducing. So 7, yeah. 70%. Okay, now I asked him what it was in the United States, in Kansas City. I think he said something like 25%, which is still great uh, if you compare it to America. But my question to you is, why doesn't it work as well in America? And if people try it as a sort of panacea for their problems, you know, oh, this Discovery Bible study now will become the thing that really would change everything for us and will grow and, and it will be magnificent, it will be terrific, uh, when it doesn't work, what are they doing wrong? Well, I think the, the first thing is that it's, it's, a, it's a mistake for you to think that Discovery Bible Study is going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It's a big mistake. I mean, it is the Word of God. It is God and the power of the Holy Spirit that walks through any system that is going to solve the problem. It's not the system itself. So many times one of the things here is that, again, a lot of people just focus on the system but not Christ in the system. And they think it's a system that is going to redeem, but not Christ. So I think that's one problem. I think the second problem is that the, we have a culture here that is really just knowledge-based. For many years, all people do is to just acquire more knowledge, more knowledge, and it's an obedience-based. So you have a lot of people in our own context who will say people are saving the head, but not saving the heart. Because it's all about knowledge and just knowledge and knowledge. And they're not doing anything with the knowledge. And we would say if they're only saved in the head, they're not saved at all. Well, yeah, you can go further and say that. <laughs> but <Yeah. it's, laughs> I'm an outsider, so I have to be careful what I say. Yeah, that's We're not outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so the issue here is that we, Jesus was really concerned with obedience. You know, he came into a world where it was really knowledge based. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, all these guys that knew the law, they were saving the head, but they were not obedient. He switched it over. He was laying emphasis on obeying now. And so one of the reasons here is that we have a lot of people who are knowledgeable. And so because they are knowledgeable, they think they are okay. They are fine. So that's also an issue. But also the third thing is that we should set this in the context that we are in a spiritual warfare. There's a war going on. And in this context, a lot of people think there's no war. And just being a Christian is fine. That's okay. I can go to church. I pay my tithes. I have a leadership role in the church. I can wake up in the morning. And, no. We are in a war. We are fighting a war. And Paul calls it a fight of faith. 
It is a good fight anyway, but it's a fight of faith. And we have to put on the whole armor of God if we have to survive this war. And we should know who the enemy is. The battle line is very drawn. The enemy is not Jim. It's not the next person in the next church. The enemy is principalities and power, spiritual hosts of wickedness, authorities in higher places. Those are the enemy. So if I'm going to let this thing work, there's an enemy fighting like what Jim said. Every day I wake up, the enemy is fighting me, bringing thoughts in my mind, bringing things, accusing me. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what the Bible says. So constantly he's accusing me of even things that I'm not doing. He's accusing me and he wants me to believe the lies. And so what do I do in this war? Every morning I switch on to God and I go down my knees and I say, Lord, without you, I cannot win this war. And therefore, 2,000 years ago, you defeated the enemy. You made a public spectacle of the enemy. And so I come under that coverage because I'm your son or your daughter. And I stand upon the authority of your word today. Mm-hmm. And I put on the whole arm of God. So every battle in my mind, every battle in my heart, God, today, as I go out, I commit to you. Yeah. Because I want to please you and you alone. So constantly, we keep on using the weapon that Jesus was using. Amen. Can you imagine I tell people, for 40 days, Jesus fasted in 40 nights. But the enemy came. I mean, this is Jesus. It's not me. This is Jesus. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you are thinking that the enemy should not come close. And that's the time he came. If the enemy could come to a person like Jesus and tempt him, look, he would do it every day to me. The other thing is that uh, there's something, so it just reaffirms the idea that there's something much more profound and deep going on here than, than you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if you remember, somewhere in your history books you read about the Battle of Bull Run and the Civil War, and... And uh, a people came out and picnicked, and they st- they was on a hill, and uh, they were looking over the Union troops versus uh, the Southern troops, you know, the Confederacy. And uh, they thought they'd just come out and have a picnic and have a nice day, and they could sit on the, the lawn and watch the battle. And the battle tur- took a turn against the Union troops, <laughs> and these people had to pack up their, their gear and get out of there. And uh, it's almost like as a church where... Sitting up there, and we're watching up. Boy, over in Sierra Leone, look at that, man. I mean, that's really exciting. Let's make a movie about it. And uh, it, we just sort of get caught up in this entertainment thing and the comforts of it, and we're separated from it. We don't really have to live that. It's just something that we can watch. And uh, I think it's really important to understand that there's a reason for that, and there's a reason that we're stuck. There's a reason that the church is in decline in America uh, in many ways, and it's because I think that we don't understand that we really are in a war. Well, and I, I think about if you're in Sierra Leone and it's a Muslim country or has been, to just cross the line and, and become a Christ follower is dangerous. I think about the Jews 3,000 or 2,000 years ago, 3,000 people in the very city where Jesus is killed and Stephen is going to be killed. Just to be baptized, it wasn't like you were joining a social club. It wasn't just an emotional experience. Intrinsic into the decision was an awareness that I just crossed the line and I am in in the midst of danger. In America, it's a social club sort of thing. And it's because there's a lack of discipleship. They're not discipled 
to understand it. And even if they do understand it spiritually, it's not costing them anything physically on planet Earth. So there's a separation between uh, the spiritual realm and the physical realm that they don't necessarily have to experience. Whereas if you're in a Muslim country, in Pakistan, in Sierra Leone, the spiritual realm and the physical realm are kind of lined up. But I, I do have one question for you. I have a question for you because discipleship, I know it, it, the way that, that it was, after just meeting you and knowing you, you are a brilliant statistician, uh, tactics. Uh, uh, you're brilliant at thinking through things. What it can sound like when you have, you do the discipleship, uh, adult Bible studies, or uh, uh, DBS, you get them started, then they go off. Where is the ongoing accountability and coaching in the church? I know you have to have it. Would you just briefly share that you're not just launching undiscipled people who now have to do how to do, uh, they know how to do adult, uh, uh, beep, uh, uh, discovery Bible. Yeah. Uh, there's got to be some ongoing growth in the other areas of their life. We, we, we for all the leaders, everybody's in, in a discipleship, for example, if you are leading disciples, there are the other leaders that you are accountable to. So there's a process of accountability for even the leaders that are leading discovery Bible studies. So we meet from time to time, and we're asking some of the questions you're asking. We're asking deeper questions. We have forms that we fill. So there are a lot of things we ask deeper. If we hold ourselves accountable, because each of the questions are really accountability questions, and leaders are also held accountable. And we meet, and we pray, and we discuss about issues. We become so transparent about issues that we are talking about. So there is a lot of, and it's an ongoing process. It's not something that is done one and you are off. No, it's an ongoing process. That's why we say training and coaching is ongoing. In all what we do in the movement, training and coaching is ongoing. It's not something that is done to the no. We have people that have been, they have been coached even though they are leaders, they have been coached over and again. And we hold each other accountable for issues. So there are a lot of things we do in the, apart from the discovery Bible studies that we also do. And part of this is coaching. Part of this is mentorship. You know, part of his meeting just as leaders and praying and holding ourselves accountable for what God is doing. So it's an ongoing process. If it's part of what we say, it's ongoing. It's on the job and it's ongoing. In the next section, <clears throat> we're going to look at how the system is developed <clears throat> in terms of uh, reproducing or multiplying, I'm using the word multiplying, multiplying baptisms, multiplying groups, multiplying churches. We'll get into some definitions of churches, and, and uh, we're going to get down to some of the, like, how it actually multiplies uh, as a movement. One, one thing I'd like to do, though, before we end this session, and we have a short break, is I want to draw your attention just to a couple of key takeaways I'd commend to everybody who's listening. The first thing is, again, to come back to that expression, this is a simple, effective and reproducible model. It's anybody, anywhere can do it. That's super important. Secondly, it is undergirded by prayer and fasting. 
<coughs> in fact, uh, uh, Shironke was with a, a learning community that I was helping with, and uh, several of the leaders talked to Shadonke about uh, trying Discovery Bible study in places and not seeing the effectiveness of it. And one of his default positions was, tell me how it is that fasting and prayer is undergirding what you're doing. The last thing I want, well, there's two more things. The, The second to last thing is, this is a system that really is scripture driven. It, it, uh, Shadonke quoted Romans 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It is the Bible that changes people and getting people into the, into the word of God so that the word of God is like a lion that's turned loose in our hearts and, and the word of God can convince people, uh, especially with the power of the spirit of God in ways that we never can. In fact, uh, Jim Putman always quotes a great expression. It's the word of God. It's the spirit of God with the people of God, and then the mission of God. That is very, very potent. The last thing I want to mention is something that we talked about that's very different than North American Christianity, and it's obedience-based discipleship. And it goes back to the Great Commission. Jesus did not say, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them all of my commands. He didn't say that. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey, obey. all of my commands. <clears throat> so we as disciple makers are committed to grace-oriented, obedience-based discipleship. And it must lead to obedience or it's not the kind of disciple making. Can I just say, can I say what? Before? Can you can say one more thing. And now, break. I think it's also important for us to know that we are not only doing this in Sierra Leone, we are doing this in several other countries. And we are seeing almost the same result as what we are seeing in Sierra Leone. So it's not only being done in Sierra Leone. We are doing it in several other countries, first among especially very top Muslims, and then again among African traditional religionists, and then in some other areas among other, you know, religion. So it's not only being rolled out in Syria, it's being rolled out in other countries, and we have seen how God is moving and transforming other people and other tribes in these other places where it's going on. And there are a lot of other leaders that are involved in this process that God is also using to do the same. Hey, I know you can't wait to get to the next episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast, but before you do, I want to remind you that we do have a national disciple making forum coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, November 4th and 5th, 2021. Make sure you go over to discipleship.org and purchase your tickets today. You're not going to want to miss out on this incredible event. Um, We're going to have tons of speakers. Alisa Childers, Jim Putman, Shadonke Johnson. It's going to be awesome. Um, So make sure you go there and sign up to be there. And I really look forward to seeing everybody again. It's going to be a great time. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.